Yes. And something I talk to people a lot about when I'm working with them is how often we set up others for failure with us and we don't even realize it. And we do that from the very beginning when we're dating, where we continually protect them from having to feel uncomfortable. So we don't express our needs. But then one day we're so angry that we blow up and they really never had an opportunity to um, say to us whether they could or couldn't fulfill our needs. But what we did was we just decided for them that they couldn't. And then we shut our mouths, mouths about it and we just accepted it. Um, so one of the most important things to do in a relationship is to ask yourself, am I setting this other person up to be successful with me by being really clear? Or am I making it so that they're ultimately going to fail me because I'm not giving them an opportunity to come through and show up? Hello and welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for tuning in to Pave Your Paradise podcast. If you're new to the show, I'm Mandy Ross, host of this amazing space for you guys to uplevel your relationships, your health, your business, and your life. And I want to know how you're tuning in right now. Are you guys on a walk? Are you driving? Are you working out? Or just listening to some soul, body, and mind nourishment? Or are you tuning in with a friend, loved one, or partner today? Please let me know by sharing your tuning in experiences on your posts and stories and tagging me at Mandy J. Ross and Pave Your Paradise and let me know. So major news for you guys that I shared a little while back that I started a Patreon page. So it's now up and I'm ready to serve you even more through it. There's lots of additional resources I'll be sharing. So for you to join the official Pave Your Paradise community where you'll be receiving tons of self-growth, self-love, and self-compassion tips, techniques, and tools for your personal development toolbox, also to connect with me in live group calls and coaching, plus be supporting the podcast and myself to raise awareness on self-love and compassion, and of course, connection, please visit my new page at www.patreon.com slash Mandy J. Ross. Da-da-da-da. And now, I'm thrilled to feature a very special guest on today's episode. Elizabeth Earnshaw, otherwise known as Liz Listens on Instagram, is a licensed couples therapist. So many of you have reached out about relationships and intimate connections in particular, so I'm so happy to bring you a leading expert on the topic. Plus, y'all know how I feel about connection, love, and relationship chat. Elizabeth is a mom, wife, therapist, and she's living in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. She owns a Better Life Therapy, a therapy practicing that helps people to develop better relationships. As a licensed marriage and family therapist and certified Gottman therapist, she supports individuals and couples in the therapy room, through her courses, and on Instagram to build better relationships with themselves so they can connect better with others. So guys, I am so excited to be featuring her and her amazing work, and I also get to offer you guys an incredibly life-transforming program that she's offering called Love Lessons at 20% off the cost today. And as a Pave Your Paradise community member, my goal is to help you guys with as many resources as I can. 
If you want to learn how to love yourself and others better for 365 days a year, because y'all know it shouldn't just be safe for those special occasions, this program's for you. Most importantly, if you're craving expansive, healthy, true love in your life, please check out Elizabeth's amazing content. I'm a huge fan myself to create incredible love in your life. I've included links below for you guys to join in the show notes. So Liz is a licensed marriage and family therapist, a wife, a mama, and so much more. We actually met through social media when I stumbled upon her content. Upon following her Instagram and consuming her next level conscious posts and discovering what she was all about, I knew I had to have her on the show for you guys. Because of her background and own personal transformational journey of love life experiences, she's full of insight and inspiration. She's someone who I completely appreciate and respect for what she's creating in the world, especially the positive impact she's having on the awareness of connection we have with ourselves in intimate bonds with others and offering solutions to those who are struggling. Her strategies and advice for creating incredible love are thoughtful, articulate, and can have a huge positive impact on your life, so I had to share her with you. I want to continue bringing on expert guests that will help you, inspire you, and empower you, and Elizabeth Earnshaw is a breathing, living, walking example of paving your own path to paradise. We dive deep in this episode on her personal love life journey, including life with marriage and a little one, rewriting your love story, conscious coupling, how to create a healthy, intimate relationship, language you can use today to attract a high value partner, how to navigate the dating world in current times, including online dating, and so many other love focused topics. So I hope y'all enjoy this interview as much as I did with Elizabeth Earnshaw. Welcome to the Pave Your Paradise podcast. I'm Mandy Ross, international media personality, speaker, writer, life cheerleader, and coach. Each episode, I'll share a guest or an idea to help you blast through your limiting beliefs, nourish your soul, and connect with yourself to take your relationships, health, business, and life to a next level. We don't play small. We're meant for great things. We take our struggles and turn them into slam dunk successes. This is the place for you to create your best you so you can pave your personal path to paradise. Are you with me? Let's do this. All right, Liz Earnshaw, thank you so much for joining me today on Pave Your Paradise podcast. Guys, if you are not familiar with Liz's work, she is incredible. I follow her on Instagram at Liz Listens, and this woman knows her stuff when it comes to relationships, couples, and you know all that good stuff around love and connection. Uh, she is a licensed couples therapist, and I am so stoked to have you on the show today, Liz. I'm so excited to be here, Mandy. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome. So the first thing that I always ask any guest who's on the show is what was the first thing you did when you woke up this morning? (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Um, The first thing I did when I woke up this morning was I went into this closet that I'm building and I started drilling holes into the wall and not even kidding. That was the very first thing you did this morning. (laughs) Before I went to the bathroom, before... 
I got water before I went and got my child out of their bed. I went and finished hanging something in the closet because I was perseverating about it all night long. (laughs) Oh, wow. I mean, I'm not going to say I'm not guilty of doing some tasks first thing. I try not to anymore with morning routine but I totally feel you girl on that like ongoing to-do list (laughs) aside from work what gets you up in the morning aside from having to drill holes as well what gets you up in the morning other than drilling a really good hole first thing in the morning (laughs) Um, man the cottage there just make me want to laugh but anyways let's move on (laughs) my um definitely my son literally and figuratively you know I have to literally get up for him in the morning um but he he's so fun and he gets me out of bed I'm definitely not a morning person but ever since becoming a mom especially to a toddler I actually look forward to getting up in the morning because I like seeing him and being with him in the mornings before he goes off to school so um really that's the thing that right now in my life and this season of my life gets me up in the morning Oh, that's so sweet. And it, it's amazing how much, too, children can be the greatest teachers for us. Like, you know, if you're maybe not a normally a morning person, maybe just seeing how excited he is or how happy he is in the mornings even inspires you a little bit more. Oh, yes, definitely. Because it, it's made me rethink why do I hate getting up in the morning so much? Because I go downstairs, it's like 7 a.m. and he's jumping in his bed and telling me he wants to go down done play and I'm like oh you know maybe I need to figure out how to get some of this energy too (laughs) oh that's so cute and what's been a highlight of your week so far oh that's a really good question I think the highlight of my week this week was that I actually cut back on the hours that I work in my office um and so every single I used to work some nights and I'm not working nights anymore. And so every single night I was home by three or 4 PM. Um, and honestly just got to be home and do stuff around the house and be with my son and get caught up on work. And it gave me a lot of excitement about this is really just how my life's going to be moving forward. Um, and so that was a huge highlight. Oh, the other highlight is it was my anniversary. (laughs) Forgot about that one. (laughs) oh goodness and what what anniversary were you celebrating it is our third the third anniversary of getting married to my husband so yeah that's a big one we actually celebrate more on the day we met than we do for our wedding anniversary but we always do a little something on our wedding anniversary Aw, that's so cute thank you for sharing your highlights and yeah I I feel you on the uh, time management and like where you're investing your time. It, it, it can, it literally changes your entire life when you learn to, you know, kind of figure out what your power hours are, as I call them. And like, know when you need to invest in certain times during your day, like work and play and connection and, and even time for self and self care, like all those things. That, that sounds amazing. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the biggest lessons I've learned this year is just how to delegate um, and how to just get rid of certain things that just don't need to be done. And it's just changed so much the amount of time that I have um, for my own life, which is so important. Would you please share a bit about you, your background and your story with my audience for those who might not know? 
Sure. So my name is Liz Earnshaw, and I am a couples therapist. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist and also a certified Gottman therapist. Um, I have my master's in marriage and family therapy. And so most of my career has been based on studying families, studying couples, and just studying relationships in general. Prior to getting that master's degree, I actually got my bachelor's degree in organizational development, which for anyone who doesn't know is the study of how organizations and companies work. And so that was really kind of my first dipping my first toe into um, relationships because the way that we relate to people outside of work is usually very similar to the way we're dealing with things inside of work as well. And so I, I'm just fascinated by how people connect with each other and um, how those patterns of connecting kind of replicate all over the place for us. And so, yeah, that's, that's where I've dedicated a lot of my energy and my professional life. Um, I am a mom to a toddler. I am a wife to my husband and I'm, you know, a city girl at heart. I've lived in the city of Philadelphia for a long time and now I'm in the suburbs, but I, I love living in the city. And so I own a practice in the city with a whole bunch of other really amazing therapists. Um, and I run courses online to help people understand the basics of having healthy relationships. Because I think a lot of times the breakdown comes from, we just don't know what we don't know. And as soon as people know differently, they have this amazing opportunity to do things a little bit differently. Liz, honestly, that is amazing. And it's interesting too. I love that you shared your journey uh, from going more in the corporate sector and then that transitioned into more the relational, you know, marriage couple stuff. And may I ask you, was the transformation from where you started to the relationship stuff that you focus on today was that because the people you were working with you kept coming up with the same like I don't want to say problems but basically the same situations within those organizations when you peeled back the layers they were really just dealing with a lot of personal connection uh, situations that you ended up having to kind of counsel them through you know marriage connection family stuff anyways Yeah, so I have the most winding path ever to how I got to where I am today. So I started with that. Um, And then I went and I helped to run a student support program in New Orleans. Um, So actually, after I got my organizational development degree, I automatically knew that I didn't want to necessarily work with corporations, which that's kind of weird because that's what you're going to do. Um, and so just in my studies, I decided that I wanted to work with smaller groups of people. And so I went back to school to um, be a therapist. And then as soon as I graduated from that, um, I was asked to come down to New Orleans. It was shortly after Hurricane Katrina because they, um, because of all the upheaval of Hurricane <laughs> Katrina, they needed to kind of redevelop their mental health programs. So there was just this really amazing opportunity that fell in my lap to use both my organizational development background and then also my counseling background at the exact same time. 
Um, and so when I was working in the school and then also because of that, working with other schools, I just really started to notice how, um, how negatively organizations are impacted by so many levels of dynamics, by so many systems, right? So not only by the relationships within the organization between the employer and the employee or um, the employees with each other or the employees with the students or whatever it is, but also like how are those employees doing outside of the workplace? Like, are they happy in their relationships? Are they sick? Are they taking good care of themselves? And then like, even bigger than that is like, how is that community doing? And so you can imagine with New Orleans, um, it was a pretty significant moment where the community was really resilient, but also really struggling at the same time. And so I just in those moments noticed that what I was drawn to was what was happening for people individually in that yeah. entire system and I started to feel so drawn to help the, the to support the families and to support the teachers into like feeling better themselves and kind of pulled away from the organizational aspect of it and more into the personal parts of it um and so after I left I decided that that's that's really what I wanted to do was to work with people on a more one-to-one level Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that, uh, that journey, because I think, you know, a lot of times in life we'll start by, by most of the time we start out by doing one thing and then through experience, through experimentation and also just self-development, which it sounds like, you know, obviously you're very vested in your own self-development journey. We end up somewhere where initially we wouldn't have even thought of, you know, and it was interesting when you said the, correlation between seeing like the health of a community and also like really boiling boiling it back down to the individuals within that community I think in our society nowadays it seems like and I wouldn't say it's definitely the priority for every organization because I think it's still in that transitional phase and that experimentation phase but I feel like a lot of organizations today are placing more of an emphasis on really helping their employees to really nourish themselves because ultimately if the employee is nourished, then the organization is going to thrive at the end of the day. Exactly. And I think a lot of companies are getting people who majored in organizational development (laughs) to come in and to talk to them about that because you really, no matter how great of a company culture you build, how many pool tables you put into the yeah. office or snack machines. Or nap rooms. Or <laughs> nap rooms. Or like, I, I think like Goldman Sachs like makes it so you can drop your laundry off. Like all this stuff. Like no matter how much of that you do within the office space, if your employees aren't doing well outside of work, um, then it, it isn't really going to matter how many naps you give them. Yeah. And so I, I think that like you said, employers and I think the world on a whole is starting to notice how much our own our own the the health of the human being and their own self-care and their own life balance 
impacts everything else. And like that needs to be number one, because if it's not, there's just a breakdown everywhere else. Absolutely. And even, you know, I do coaching myself and a lot of the, especially the either executive employees that I talk to or people who are entrepreneurs as well. So it's not even just an organization um, necessarily like an employee for an organization. I feel like a lot of people are really struggling out there when it comes to balance, like just balancing, you know, doing all the things like having the greatest health, having the greatest relationships, having, you know, their business thrive, and then all the other things they still need to do in their lives to feel like they're actually balanced. And in the journey of like hustling so much to achieve the balance, they always, they seem to feel so burnt out. Yes. Yes. And I, I think that's such a huge problem is there's just so much hustle to like achieve all of this balance. Um, and it, that in itself burns people. Out. Totally. And that's the thing, like, I mean, obviously I want to, um, you know, make this interview much more pertain to the relational aspect, especially because you're such a, a wonderful expert at that, at connection and relationship. What are some of the biggest, um, I guess, things that you see come up in your practice nowadays when it comes to uh, just couples and relationships in general based in the time that we're living in? I love that question. Um, I think that based on the time we're living in, there are one of the biggest things, and I don't know, have you ever heard of Terry Real before? I don't believe so. Do you want to share? Yeah, so he um, studies couples, and he's written some books. I think the book is called The New Rules of Marriage. I hope I'm saying that correctly. Um, and, and he talks a lot about how much marriage has changed, and yet we're still kind of operating um, as if it is the way it used to be. Like we haven't really learned to create new pathways yet in relationships. Okay. And he is really, he's kind of heteronormative and he talks about men and women and all of that. But in general, it's been found that even in same sex couples as well, that we're still try we still haven't come up with a new template for what a marriage looks like. And so in many ways, we're trying to replicate what we saw our parents do, even though our lives are very, very, very different now. And what I mean by that is that it's likely more than ever that both people in the home are working. Um, it's likely that they have to both work because of student debt and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, it's likely that they feel more pressure than ever before to be the most perfect parent on the planet and so yeah there's never been a time where parents do as much for their children as they do now which I think we get a bad rap we're always made fun of for being on our cell phones or whatever it is but children now are given so many more opportunities than children ever have been given um, and sometimes it's to the detriment of the parents and the relationship um, and so there's all of these things that we're still doing based off of what our parents did in terms of like what roles we take on, mm -hmm. how we deal with intimacy, how we um, think sex should show up in the relationship, how we talk about problems. And yet the problems are very, very different now. And um, our marriages are very, very different. And so people come in and they're very frustrated because they can't get the template to work. 
Wow, that's huge. Yeah, it's huge. And I think it's super validating, um, even just saying that to them. I mean, just this concept makes so much sense to me. Like, we're trying to essentially take the quote unquote rules of marriage, or let's just say even forget the marriage, but rules of relationships, intimate relationships. And we're essentially trying to use outdated guides to help us in our current relationships. And that's just, that's a, that's a pathway to failure. Absolutely. And we're not even aware of it, which is the hard part. We're using it as a guide, but we don't think we're using it as a guide. We just think we're doing what's supposed to be done. And so we have all of these people who are just completely burnt out because they are leaning into their work and um, they are leaning in at home and they are doing amazing do-it-yourself projects and drilling holes in the wall at 9 a.m. And then, <laughs> and then getting up and getting dressed and taking their kids to soccer practice and running a business and all of these things. And then they come home and they still think like, well, we need to all sit down at the table together and make a meal and the house should be spotless and I should be helping my kids with their homework and he should be doing this or she should be doing this. And um, all of these shoulds are just kind of a recipe for guilt. I mean, I'm exhausted just listening to you list this stuff. I know it, it. Like, I don't have children myself, but I know what it's like when you really are devoted to, like, especially when you're so into self-development, you want to do all the things. You want to, you know, have, you know, the, the best body, the best, you know, work. You want to perform in all ways at your highest level. And it's just like, it's exhausting sometimes. Yeah. And then you go home and you're supposed to have a relationship that was the relationship your parents had. And your parents, unless they were um, from the future, I can almost guarantee they were not waking up, doing a do-it-yourself project, exercising, dropping their kids off somewhere, running to um, their therapy appointment, going to work, um, being perfectly dressed at the office, coming home. I mean, they just... yeah weren't um and we are now and so I think it's so important for couples to sit down and to say hey you know the way that our parents might have operated as a couple might not actually work for us and that's nothing to be ashamed of I think we have to figure out what does work for us though wow that's an amazing amazing like golden nugget takeaway to be updating your your basically your new life with another person you know and not not assuming that the expectation is what you witnessed growing up and I think there are a lot of people that are that are in tune with like the the parent-child relationship the Freudian philosophy of you know that, that stuff so it I think a lot of people are aware that things are different than or they want to you know be better than potentially what they saw growing up. But it's a whole other ball game when you're thinking like, you know, the fundamental basics of the relation relationships I saw growing up. That's not, that's not, it's not so much that it's not normal, but it needs to be updated. So like, how do you, how do you help couples then get, get to a space where they can create that new template for themselves? A lot of it is reflecting on 
what did you see growing up? How did that work for your family? And then getting to the underneath of it, which is, okay, so that, that worked for your family. That's why you're trying to replicate that here, right? That's why you're the one who wants to pick the kid up every day and give them a snack. Cause that felt really good when your parent did that for you, <laughs> but it's, it's not working in this family, but talk to me about why it felt good. Well, it felt good because it meant that they cared about me or that I was taken care of, or I was noticed or whatever. And then the work is, okay, so it's not the actual action that always needs to be replicated or the way it was done exactly. It's more about, can we replicate that underlying feeling um, now? And so you want your kids to be seen or you want your partner to be seen the way you were seen by your parents. So what is a realistic way you do that in your life now? And so I think a lot of times people just have to sit back and think, okay, the reason I'm doing this thing is because when I was growing up, it meant this to me. And so are there other things in our life now that I can do that mean the exact same thing, that mean connection or love or presence or fun or whatever it is um, so, that, so that my partner or my child or whoever it is in my life um, gets that same feeling, even if I can't do it the same way. Mm, that's so beautiful. Like the, the visualization I had going through my mind when you were saying this was basically that we need to get out of our heads and get into our hearts as in, oh, I love that. And I, and that's what I literally envisioned as you were saying this, because we're so sometimes we're always our own worst enemy, but also our own best friends. So in the enemy sense, I feel like sometimes we get so stuck on, on staying within those fine lines of a box. And we get really rigid thinking, well, it has to be, look like this. It has to be this way, but that's just the logical mind. When we actually get out of that and we're open to getting into our hearts and the feeling of that action, like you said, when, you know, the days that your mom would pick you up and, and bring you home and give you a snack, like, how did you really like get into your heart space? Like, how did that feel for you? And then, as you said, you went through the emotions. How can we just extract that emotion and apply it to a new action that's actually updated and works for us and serves us today? Exactly. And sometimes it means that it's totally different. And sometimes the, you know, the person might say, actually, to me, that is really, really important. And so I'm going to have to give up some other things in my life so that I can do that thing. Um, I think that's even an example. I told you that I started cutting back from night hours mm -hmm. because I was trying to live a life where I was both my own mother who picked me up from school every day and all of those things. Yeah. Um, and also a modern woman who runs a business and does it without interrupting her child. And, you know, I would put him down to bed and then run to the office and see people. And it was just complete nonsense. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think but so many people can relate to that though, Liz. Yeah. And so, but it was, it was, it was so, so much me trying to make, an old template work in my current life. And that doesn't work. And I had to really think, well, I'm never going to be able to do the old template because I do want to own a business and I, it's really important for me. 
And um, I am going to send my kid to daycare and all of those things, uh, unlike I like I was not. Um, but here are some things I can do to make sure that I'm getting what I need in other ways. And that flexibility is so important because when we stick with rigid definitions for how we are a good parent or a good partner or whatever, that's when we start to breed shame. And one of the things you asked is what do I see as being a huge problem in couples right now? And playing off of this idea of um, trying to have in like um, old fashioned marriages in a modern world that breeds a ton of shame and it shows up in all different ways. It shows up as one partner feeling ashamed that they aren't the breadwinner because dad was. Yeah. Or one partner feeling ashamed that they're not taking care of the house the way mom did. Um, Or one partner feeling ashamed that they aren't, they are too exhausted to kind of dress themselves up every day. And they grew up in a house where like their parent always looked really nice. And this shame is so disconnecting with the self and with the other person. And so it's not just that trying to use those old rules causes arguments. It really creates shame that makes, creates kind of power struggles within the relationship where to hide oneself so that the partner doesn't see how ashamed you are, you either become very distant or very argumentative or um, critical or defensive or whatever it is. But it's really all to hide your shame that you can't live up to what you thought you were supposed to be. Wow, Liz, that is such profound advice. For those listening out there, I know people are going to go like, whoa. And it's such, to me, like the way that you said it was so beautifully articulated, first off, um, because it, it's it's like, how liberating would it be if we all could just work on releasing the expectation of this crazy, impossible standard that like we just set for ourselves, Exactly. We set really high standards for ourselves that are pretty much like, I mean, I'm not going to, okay. I'm not, I'm all for obviously this whole podcast and just the way that I operate my life is all about, you know, reaching higher, being your greatest self, but like not to do a disservice to yourself by virtue of you following these made up, you know, perfectionist type standards in your mind. Yeah. And reaching higher and being your best self is really making sure that it, you're doing it because it is your best self. Yes. And, you're not doing and it that you're taking care of yourself in the process. Yeah, because otherwise, reach when a lot of people, I think, are reaching for a lot of shame-based reasons. Yes. Um, yes. Like they feel guilty that they're not doing more, so they try to do more. And in essence, they fail because they can't do all of the above so then they actually feel more shame right and then they just keep putting themselves into the cycle of I have to be more I have to be more or the opposite which is I am so little 
that it doesn't even matter anymore and I'm not even going to try. And so both of those things is how shame appears in an individual and also in a relationship. And so tell me, how does that show up and how does that affect? I mean, obviously we know when you come and you're living in shame, coming to your partner, like basically vibrating at that, you know, level, it's not going to be good, but like, how does that manifest? And then what does that look like in a relationship that you've seen? Yeah, so it definitely impacts libido. Um, When people don't feel good about themselves and how they are um, engaging in their relationship, they, they, you can struggle with wanting to have sex with each other. Um, Because again, shame is something that makes people want to hide away. And the thing that you might really want to hide away when you're feeling ashamed is your body. Yeah. So yeah, definitely impacts libido. The other thing that happens with shame is it can be um, a major underlier of power struggle dynamics between couples. So what that looks like is that if somebody feels shame about a topic that needs to be discussed, then um, the person who wants to discuss it will be trying to bring up this issue. And the person who feels shame will shut it down. And over time, that really harms the relationship. So it might be like, hey, babe, um, I'm really worried about our finances. And the other person has this entire shame story about what it means to be a provider. And so while their partner meant absolutely nothing by it, their partner might have even meant, I'm concerned that I'm not making enough money um, or I'm concerned I'm spending too much money. The person with the shame story, the person that feels like they're not living up to some set of standards can't even go there and so like they're completely triggered they're completely triggered and so if anybody listening notices that every time you bring up a certain issue your partner has a response that is surprising to you they get really angry or they completely shut down or they tell you like don't even worry about it it's not important it could be for many reasons but one reason that you might consider is that it's related to some sort of shame story where anytime you talk about it, they feel like you're bringing up their failure. They don't see it as a teamwork situation to figure out. They see it as a me situation to figure out. Um, And when that's the case, couples will really struggle to work through issues and they will be stuck on these repetitive loops of somebody bringing up the issue, the other person shutting it down, withdrawing, getting angry. Um, And then it just never gets solved. And over time, clearly, that can make a relationship very volatile or just very, very distant. Uh, yeah, I think so many people right now who are listening out there can re- resonate with these. And I mean, obviously, we're talking about intimate couples relationships, but I think this this applies to other relationships in life, too. Just that that dynamic, like if, say, you have this, the same kind of conversations with relatives that never go anywhere or with, again, you know, friends or different people that are close. Uh, or in your life. And so I have so many questions, but basically, I mean, this is your specialty. So the courses that you offer, essentially, if we could extract some of the, I know you have a, a new course that you're going to be relaunching. If you want to talk a little bit maybe about that and how how you um, operate within that course to help couples rebuild and also strengthen their bonds. The course 
that I designed was the course I always wish I had. And it is a mashup of kind of the things that you would learn in school and then the stuff you would learn in real life. So it's like book smarts and street smarts mashed up together. And I did that because I feel like so many people want to know how to have better relationships. But like we talked about, they are managing their relationships based off of templates that they've seen from their parents, from their friends, from the media, whatever it is. And as soon as they get a little bit more information about the science of relationships, they have tons of aha moments. But then sometimes it becomes really hard to apply. And I found that when I was studying to be a couples therapist, um, I was having all of these aha moments. And I actually have always felt like it's a little unfair that not everybody gets to study to be a couples therapist. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, I feel the same way being a journalist. It's like all my interviews, I'm like, I kind of feel like this is unfair. I wish other people were able to have the type of conversations I do on such a regular basis, because that's the best learning, you know, like when you're learning, it just it feels like, oh, my goodness, I can apply this to my life right now. Exactly. You know, when you're learning to be a journalist, you start to see the world differently. And you're like, Oh, okay, that's why you have conversations with people, right? And I, there's so many things, you know, that I have no idea. And um, if I knew them, it would probably make me operate in a different way that would benefit my life. And so when I was studying to be a couples therapist, it was the same thing where I was having all of these revelations and I was able to see things for what they were um, in my relationships. I'm super curious. And when you were studying all this, were you already yeah. in your current relationship? No, no. <laughs> all right. I was all not. Right. I actually was in a lot of really unhealthy relationships and studying to be a couples therapist illuminated that for me. And I really wasn't even aware. I mean, I knew that they were painful at times, but like many people, I kind of thought, ah, oh, this is just how relationships are. Like the drama is part of it. Oh, wow. Um, so all the stuff you were learning basically empowered you in your own life to nix the unhealthy ones and then basically attract one that was going to serve you in a higher way. Exactly. But the problem was, is that I never really knew how to apply it. Mm -hmm. So I had all of this science, cognitive information, but nothing to apply. And then when I started working with couples, I started seeing this is how it is in real life. Like this is how you actually use the stuff. And so my course is a mix of giving people information about um, relationships and the science behind them and helping you to have aha moments um, about your own relationships, but then also giving you really easy to use tools so that you can apply that information because having information is wonderful, but being able to apply it is really where the change happens. And so it's a mix of those two things. And we talk about everything, you know, attachment styles and how to shift them into something more secure and boundaries and your relationship template, like we were talking about a little bit earlier, um, communication skills and Yes, I provide the information, but also tips on how to deal with it in real life. Oh, amazing, Liz. I think my listeners out there, I know y'all love relationships and connection. So I will definitely be putting a link to that in the show notes below so people can take your course because it sounds like something that just would be 
such an amazing experience to not just go through for oneself and self-develop, but also to really have those next level type of relationships in their lives. Exactly. Yep. Amazing. Okay. So now this portion, I'm going to dive a little deeper so that people can get to know you personally a little bit more. Um, I know it's going to be always ends up being a mix of you and your professional life too, but I just love the audience to be able to get to know Liz a little more. So what do you wish you'd known when you first started out? I would like to do that in the beginning of my life because I think that one thing I've learned in the last several years is not to worry so much. (laughs) And I know that's so kind of cliche. Probably everybody gives that answer. But when I was little, I wish big me could have come back to little me and said, don't worry, like, it is going to be fine. And there are going to be so many things that are disappointments. But there are also just going to be so many things that are inspiring and fun and exciting. And your life is going to end up where it's supposed to be. Um, And the more worrying you do, the more you get kind of stuck in a loop. And so stop worrying and just take opportunities and um, allow yourself to enjoy the good stuff that's happening right now and to sit with the bad stuff that's happening too. Oh, beautiful advice. What compelled you to become a licensed couples therapist? So in my path (laughs) of a whole bunch of different degree interests, I also went to school to be a teacher. Um, I did lots of stuff. I was feeling super lost. I didn't know what I wanted to do after my organizational development program. Um, And I was driving down a highway and there was a billboard. And that was the moment. (laughs) Wow. Okay. Please share. What did the billboard have on it? And that's why I'm, that's why I wish I could tell my little self, like, just, just chill. Like all the worrying and all of that, like it's the billboards that you notice in random moments that are going to change all of the worrying. Um, I was just driving down the road and there was a billboard for a couples and sex therapy program. And I don't know, I truly had not thought of being a therapist before. Um, And I just saw it and was like, Oh my gosh, that's, that's what I want to do. And um, I hadn't even seen, I had kind of looked at psychology programs, but I had never seen one that was specialized in couples and families. And I literally went home like five minutes later and parked my car and got on my computer and I, I filled out the application. I went to the interview the next week and took the test the next week. And um, I think I was accepted like two weeks later and it's been history ever since. Oh my goodness. I love that story for so many reasons. And thank you, first off, for sharing that. Um, I think that as cliche as this is, I think we overcomplicate things so much in life. And like, you literally just looked up, had this revelation, took action, which is the most important part of this equation. You took action and there you go. Like, you literally changed your entire life within a short period of time because you were hyper aware, then you applied what you knew, and you took action. Yep. (laughs) All from a billboard. 
so anxious in those weeks after I graduated college and just looking up completely left field career options and sending my resumes on monster.com to things that like I couldn't care less about. Um, And then I saw a billboard. (laughs) I totally feel you after J school or as people who are not in journalism as after journalism school. Yeah, I totally feel you. It's like you're applying to all these jobs, things that are kind of like even far fetched of what you even want to do because you just feel like you need to put those hours in that, that manpower, woman power into your, you know, chosen career path but sometimes it's the simplest signs and also I wanted to congratulate and just give you like major kudos because you had to be open in that moment yes exactly in order to receive that gift that was that sign for you at that time and the best the best thing I've ever done in my life is learn to be open to almost anything (laughs) (laughs) oh I know I'm the same (laughs) it's given me so many opportunities like if if there's some something that makes me even a little excited and it's an opportunity I'm like okay I'm gonna see where that goes I'm gonna let it take me somewhere let's do it I love that I love your mindset that's so beautiful to have it's an abundance mindset that's really what it is when you're open you attract so much more and people Again, they overcomplicate it saying like, well, no, she must just be lucky or, oh, no, she must just know something. But no, I really think it boils down to having an abundance mindset. You're open to life and you're open to receiving. Yeah. So amazing. So what are some of your daily habits that you swear by for success? And let's forego this morning. But (laughs) what what does does your – because I'm obsessed with morning routines. I say this to all my guests. Like I love – morning routines. I have my own master morning routine. So within those daily habits, what does your typical morning routine also look like? So a huge part of my daily habit, and it plays into my mornings as well, is that I actually make a ton of time for myself to be lazy. (laughs) I don't know how else to describe it. That's Um, totally cool. But I'm, I have always been a person that doesn't do well with what people would traditionally think are routines, Um, like kind of more rigid routines. I do really well when I'm allowed to sit and like hang out with my son for an hour and color on the kitchen table um, with each other. So my mornings really almost remind me of like childhood mornings in the summer. (laughs) where Oh, I love that. It's just kind of whatever you feel like doing, you do. I do. And we do, of course, have a timeline. So again, it is still routine, but I get up around, um, you know, 630 and I keep my pajamas on and I go get my son and my husband helps me and we feed him breakfast. And when we sit at the kitchen table as long as he wants and um, we talk and color and whatever. And then after that, um, he will play and I will get ready for work. And then I will make him the quickest lunch possible. I'm like so speedy with that. I don't even prep it the night before. <laughs> and, um, and then we, we get in the car and we listen to fun music and I drop him off. And that's my entire morning. And it's so laid back and it's so relaxed and I expect nothing of myself and I expect nothing of him. And it always goes really, really well. (laughs) 
I feel like this is something people could apply to dates. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, it was popping into my head as soon as you, I was like, just the, especially at the end, how you described it, it was kind of like, we don't really, we have the structure, we know we're going to be together, but there's nothing that's really planned within that. And we just kind of go with it. I feel like that would be a really beautiful thing to apply, especially to first dates, but like just dating in general. I actually, my first date with my husband was very similar to that. I walked over to the restaurant. It was near my house wearing exactly what I had on. I didn't change my clothes for that particular date. And um, it was super relaxed. And we just kind of sat there and chatted and got food and then at the end we parted ways and that was it. There was no built in um, activities that needed to be done. I didn't like overstress myself about how I looked or what I was going to order or any of that stuff. It was so relaxed. Mm, I love that. Wow. Thank you for sharing your first date story. Cause I think a lot of people out there too have these crazy expectations of like, Again, it's that it's that old template like, okay, the guy needs to come or, you know, whoever, somebody needs to be the one to come and pick someone up. And then like, and you over plan the entire thing. And I'm not okay. The one uh, caveat I want to say is not to get lazy in your dating style by any means. Yes. At the same time, I think it's really nice to just go with the flow, especially when you're getting to know somebody. Yeah, I think it leaves. um, I think one of the biggest problems in dating is the expectation sometimes that it is going to end a certain way. Um, And going into, and this goes back to my professional self, but if you can go into a first date thinking this is really just a person I'm hanging out with and that's it. I'm, I'm just learning about them regardless of what happens next. If we see each other again, or if we get married or if we never talk ever again, Um, it doesn't really matter because either way I have an hour of this person's time or two hours of this person's time. And how can I use that in a way that benefits my life? Um, instead of how, you know, being so anxious the entire time that you're just trying to like create something, just thinking like this could benefit me in some way. I could learn something new about a different career. Um, I could learn something new about their hobby And walking away from that, feeling like it benefited you regardless of where it goes. That is so big. Okay, we have to dive into this a little bit because I know there's a lot of people out there listening who are in the quote-unquote dating game. With everything that you see nowadays, again, I'm, I'm very much about like, again, getting rid of that old template, like you say, because I think there's so many things that are different than even 10 years ago, as far as, you know, the prevalence of online dating yeah. or like all these things are so different in our society. We have to adapt to that. So what would, I don't want to say your best advice, because I know there's so many amazing beautiful wisdom, uh, uh, sorry, golden nuggets of wisdom you could bestow on the dating scene. But like, if you could give maybe sort of your best of for people out there who are in the dating game right now, what would those words of wisdom be? The first would be what I just said, which is don't make your dating an end game. Make it about social socialization, really. This is just a moment in time where I'm getting to know somebody. And if we both mutually find that this is something 
exciting to us, interesting to us, we will both keep getting to know each other. And if for some reason, while they're a nice person or while I'm a nice person, we just don't jive, that's okay too, because there was some social benefit to spending time with them. And, and like, how do you, how would you even, um, for people out there who even want to like set up a first date, like what would your best approach be? Yeah. So in terms of setting it up, like deciding to go on the first date or just setting yourself up for the first date? Like how would you, you know, cause again, how some people like to over plan or like, how would you approach if you're say getting to know someone online or get, cause I think that's really popular now or these apps and those things. Um, like how would you approach even just making that happen that you guys meet up? Like what would your best advice be in that sense? And then how would you say is the best way to get your mindset in the right um, or best mindset to approach actually going to the date as well? I love that question because I think that that initial meetup period or trying to figure out how to meet up can be really good information about the other person and how they operate. Um, One piece of advice I give is use that as a really good time to test your own boundaries and to get used to saying what you need. You don't really know this person yet, so it's kind of low risk, Um, but don't let somebody just be your pen pal. If you want to be going on dates with someone and they're just like chit-chatting with you for six weeks and every time you start talking about meeting up, they're like, oh, I'm busy. I have a business trip or something like that. Um, You know, in those periods of time, say what you want. And one of the things you can say is, I'm on here because I want to date. So I would like to be able to meet up. Are you able to do that? And if they keep putting that off, then it might not be the best choice for you because they might be looking for more of kind of like an emotional playmate where they can just chit chat with you and and be your faux girlfriend or your faux boyfriend. Um, So my first tip is be honest that you want the date in the first place. And then when how would you do that in a way? Because for example, if, if it is like, say the example you just said, how would you do that for people? Cause like, I like to break things down to layman's terms yeah. and it's not because I know the people listening are, you know, y'all are super intelligent. I get that. And you know, I just like the equation to be very simple. So what's, what would you say, even if someone had to like verbatim what you're going to say roughly, but in their own words too, what's the best way to approach just asking somebody out in, in modern day? I love scripts. You can say something like, I'm really enjoying talking to you. I'm on this site to date people. Would you like to meet up sometime this week? Period. Love it. Love it. And if they say, you know, not for another, I'm not going to be available for a month or something, it's totally okay to check in with yourself about how you feel. If that feels annoying to you, then set a boundary and you can say, okay, I'm actually looking for something right now. Um, When you're ready, feel free to contact me. Um, And you don't have to continue on with this person or you can say that's, okay, well, that's not interesting to me and I wish you luck. Or if it feels totally okay that they can't get together right away, you can, of course, say, all right, fine, and continue talking. But really, I think that... You don't want to do a disservice to yourself. Like, I, I get what you're saying. It's like really having to check in yeah. with how you feel about that scenario and if that really is doing you a service. Like, If that's really working for you and it's aligning for you and if it's not, then 
you're kind of just, you're kind of just doing the inevitable of more than likely, as you said, reflecting, that's probably going to be a a reflection of how they're going to operate in the relationship. Yeah. And so if you're trying to set boundaries, even through setting up a date and they're not able to give you what you need, you don't have to test the waters to see if they can give you what you need in real life too. It's okay to walk away from that scenario and then put your energy into someone that is already in the same place as you are. Mm, Okay. I have to throw this in because I think that's one thing if you're on a dating site, because I know that it's not, as you said, unfortunately, even being on a dating site, people don't necessarily think that's obvious enough to go, well, Hey, I'm only on here because I'd like to date now with the prevalence of social media, though, I know a lot of people connect through social media. So let's take the same scenario. And if you weren't obviously say you connect with someone online through social media though. And you know, because of that, you're not necessarily putting yourself out there all the time as like, I'm on here to find somebody. How would you, I think this is very common for a lot of people nowadays meeting people on social media sites. How would you approach that situation? That's such a good question. And I don't know what your opinion on this is, but to me that kind of replicates more of like a, I met you in real life kind of scenario because the way you deal with somebody on a dating site isn't the way you're going to deal with somebody you like at the bar. <laughs> you're not going to go up to a person you like at the bar and go, would you like to go on a date? If not, I'm only on, I'm only here to date. So leave me alone. Otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> I will, you, you probably would get the date if you said that. You probably someone, would. Would so, someone would be so like, what the heck are they doing? <laughs> hey, look, I'm only here to find the one. Are you ready or not? <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I don't got time to waste. Like, ain't nobody got time for this dating stuff. Like, let's get this going. And so I think that that kind of scenario or even being on social media, it takes more of um, you have to check in to see if that person wants to date. (laughs) Whereas on a dating site, it's already kind of out there that that's what's going on. Um, So probably, and I wonder what your thoughts are too, it's, it's more of kind of nurturing the relationship and seeing if you get along just through authentic conversation and then complimenting and saying, I'm really enjoying talking to you and I would love to meet up sometime. Um, And again, like it's a little different because if they say no, you're not going to say, well, I don't just want a pen pal because it started as a friendship, not as a dating site. Um, But Totally. You asked what my thoughts are. So, I mean, I completely agree with you. I think that the difference is, yeah, your intention with a dating site, you're putting it out there, having most people have also joined, hopefully, for the same intention. So it's already clear, at least from, I would assume that it would be clear, but, you know, obviously, you might want to say that with people either, Mm -hmm. either way. With the social media, I think you're right. Like, I can, I can only speak, obviously, always from my own heart space and, and my own experiences. But, like, I connect with a lot of people on social media. 99% of them are not people I'm going to date or I'm interested in dating, you know, like, right. if any, you know. Right. But I think that it's really important that, yes, it's the same. It's more similar to how you would approach someone in your, your, your actual life offline. So if there's someone you're interested in, you know, I kind of go back and forth, but I do ultimately think it's always best 
to just start things off if you can, if you have that uh, opportunity to start out as friends, because that's a really beautiful way for you to get to know someone with no pressure and no expectations. Like you're just getting to know another, as you said, that's the best mindset to approach a date with. So I look at it the same way. Like if you're getting to know someone online, you know, you guys can chat back and forth and back and forth. Ask, you know, get, get curious, like get interested in learning about them to see if they're actually someone you actually want to spend time with offline. So just treat it like you would a friendship. Like I know there's, there's girlfriends I've met, you know, through social media, even who I wouldn't, I wouldn't do anything differently than someone who potentially could be a partner for me in the future. I would just get to know them through, connecting with them through maybe sharing things with them and and it's a give and take so obviously you want to do this with somebody who you know is also willing to do that back with you um and so you're not you know always being the one to make that effort yeah but it, it's it's the same as like if someone's not making effort in your actual life chances are you're not going to keep approaching them and that probably so, I think that that is across the board even in a dating site, right? Is, are we paying attention to the effort the other person is making as well? And if in your real, in the quote, real world on a dating site on Instagram, if you're the only one trying to push this relationship forward, then it's likely not a relationship that's going to go very far. Um, And so kind of learning to tune into that and to recognize maybe what's pulling you to do that um, and how can you start investing in relationships that are a little more reciprocal? Yes. And I, I really do think it boils down to a sense of self-worth. Mm-hmm. That's, that really does. And I know it might kind of, you know, it, that might be a little harsh for some of y'all listening out there, but it's true. Like if you know what you deserve, and I'm not saying from some sort of hierarchy, you know, ego thing. But if you know that you are a great catch, you have been, you know, really working on yourself, you know, you deserve a partner that is of equal um, quality or value, then why invest your time with someone who's not willing to put in the same effort? Yeah. Yep. And I love it. I love it. Sometimes that self-worth piece has to come second. And which is why you asking for scripts is so great because we we sometimes need to behave the way we would behave if we had really good self-worth. Yes. Feel what it feels like. And then you feel what it feels like to be able to assert yourself that way or to set a boundary. Absolutely. And you're like, oh my gosh, this is so much different. And then it starts to actually be a part of you. Yes. I love that. It's like, it's, it's like the stuff you teach in your course right now for someone, they might look at that because you said, you know, sometimes you don't even know what you don't know. And so what you're teaching in your course, um, or just in general about learning, you know, even the language, the communication with someone, it's okay guys to use a script. That's fine. Like we didn't all just grow up knowing how to interact with the person who we like. I know as funny as it sounds, like I know even for myself, it's the funniest thing. Like I'm super confident. I could literally, and that's, you know, definitely a unique ability, but I can literally walk up to anybody and pretty much have to say anything or interview them about anything or start up a conversation with any stranger. But the moment that I actually like someone, like I'm even getting, I'm even getting in that, like just saying it, I get like shy. You know what I mean? So like, I totally feel you guys out there. 
And I totally hear what you're saying to you, love, about just, you know, sometimes you just want to follow a little bit of a script and that's okay. Cause then what ends up happening is every time you take that risk, every time you take that, that opportunity to, you know, apply what you've learned, it actually starts to get ingrained within you. So you actually start doing it naturally. Yes. And then it sounds more like you over time too. I think a lot of people when they're first starting out with those script kind of things, which I, I did, and it was amazing. It like changed the way that I saw relationships. Um, but you're like, Oh my God, this does not sound like me. <laughs> totally. But then over time, it, it, you start to say it in your own way with your own language. And it does sound like you. Um, but sometimes it is really that utilizing a script, not really feeling like it fits you necessarily, but doing it anyway so that you can start to engage with people in a new way. Yeah, I think you just touched on something that's a really big pain point. And thank you so much for actually pointing that out because you're absolutely right. It's like the self-worth piece is very, very important. You need to have a really strong sense of self when you do enter into union with somebody else. But if that doesn't, if that element is not aligning right now for you, then it's hard for you to articulate what your needs are in a way that's going to actually be received positively by somebody else because you just, you aren't able to form that, that language yet, essentially. Yeah, exactly. You just don't know what you don't know. And I remember back to when I was dating and I was actually sitting in my therapist's office and she gave me a couple things to say every time she was like say this every time and notice each of their reactions and can you can you share something I'm so curious so one of the things was um you know not letting people shift dates on me a lot I was really too flexible I think I'm naturally kind of a people pleaser so I would be dating a doctor and they would say, oh my gosh, surgery ran over and I'm going to be an hour late. Or I would be dating like um, a pilot and they'd be like, oh, the other pilots are in. We're going to go grab a drink first and then I'll meet up. And I was like, "This it just really bothers me, but I'm kind of always flexible about it and say, oh, no problem. Um, and she brought to my attention like, well, it is a problem because you surrounded your day around getting home on time so you could get dressed and da 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 so when they change plans, every single time, can you say, um, I, I plan my day according to the commitments I make. And so I'm not going to be able to um, make a plan ahead of time with you again. But if you want to meet up, like, just try to catch me on that day and I'll see if I'm available. And I started saying that to anybody who tried to switch a plan on me. And it was amazing because the people who didn't really want to date me were like oh okay cool no problem and then they would like maybe contact me at 11 p.m the next week when they were drunk or something and I was like okay well I know who you are in terms of this relationship um but the people who really wanted to be in a relationship with me were like you're right that's pretty shitty that I tried to um switch the time I'm just gonna meet you tonight and um it it opened my eyes to if I say what I really want or what really bothers me, I'm actually giving the other person an opportunity to show me who they are for real instead of um, creating that for them, which is what I was doing before was I was just making it so easy on them 
that I got to decide that they were really nice guys and that they really liked me, even if they didn't. That is some amazing wisdom right there. There's so many things that can be taken away from that. It's like there's boundaries being put in place. There's you basically weeding out people who aren't really serious about getting to know you. There's, you know, putting, putting your needs out there and just being able to communicate it in a way, the way you said it, even it's not aggressive. It's just simply, it's just simply stating what your needs are and whether or not. And I love how you phrase that too. You're giving someone an opportunity to really step up, like to really show you, Hey, I'm also really interested. And also you're, you're, you end up serving them even because you make them aware that their behavior is not acceptable. Yes. And something I talk to people a lot about when I'm working with them is how often we set up others for failure with us and we don't even realize it. And we do that from the very beginning when we're dating, where we continually protect them from having to feel uncomfortable. So we don't express our needs. But then one day we're so angry that we blow up and they really never had an opportunity to um, say to us whether they could or couldn't fulfill our needs. But what we did was we just decided for them that they couldn't. And then we shut our mouths, mouths about it and we just accepted it. Um, so one of the most important things to do in a relationship is to ask yourself, am I setting this other person up to be successful with me by being really clear? Or am I making it so that they're ultimately going to fail me because I'm not giving them an opportunity to come through and show up? Totally. I'm so on this vibe with you in terms of like, how can you guys serve each other in the highest way? That's what it keeps going back to for me. From the way you talk to one another, to the way you treat one another, to to the way you prioritize your time with one another. It's like, how can we serve each other in the highest way together? Like, how can we uplift each other as a couple? Yeah, exactly. And a really easy way to ask yourself is, am I doing things that, that are, you know, setting this person up for success with me? And a lot of times when I'm working with people in therapy, they're like, no, I haven't. <laughs> I haven't set yeah. up for success. I haven't given them enough time or I haven't been clear enough about my needs. Or when I bring up something I'm upset about, I am critical or mean. And so, of course, they can't respond to me very well. Um, I haven't been affectionate with them. Like there's a lot of things we do that make it really hard for the other person to be, be a good partner to us. Oh, I love this. Okay. So getting back to you, we went off on a yeah, way longer No, don't apologize. I love this. And I know that the, what you're saying and what we're discussing together and, and, and in creating this podcast together, Liz, is so beneficial for, out, for people out there listening who are either dating or want to have that next level relationship who either want that or who even are in it right now. So this is all so helpful. And I'm so grateful for you just bestowing all of your beautiful wisdom onto the audience. What are you curious about right now? What am I curious about? I am very, very curious about what my next year is going to look like. (laughs) I wish I had a crystal ball because I've really shifted some things around so that it could be different. Um, I'm also really curious 
and this is so funny because it's not related to relationships, but I'm learning a lot more about EMDR right now. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with what that is, but yeah, my, my psychotherapist and he actually if, maybe share with the audience what that is. Cause like people maybe might not know what that means. Yeah. So it is, um, eye movement desensitization therapy. Um, and essentially it's you, it's one of the most beneficial forms of trauma therapy. Um, and, um, I actually, cause I worked in new Orleans for a while. My initial postgraduate training was in trauma and grief, but I didn't do EMDR training. Um, and most of the couples I work with have some form of trauma that's underlying a lot of their conflict. And so I'm really curious about, I'm going to take the training in December and then utilizing it in, you know, in therapy with the couples to help them to work through the trauma that's really holding back their relationship. Um, so that is one thing professionally that I'm curious about right now. Oh, amazing. Yeah. It's, it fascinated me when my dad first told me about it. He deals with a lot of PTSD and mm-hmm. yeah, it was quite interesting. Just uh, definitely something you guys at home might want to look into as well. Cause it is a really interesting way to, try to treat at least uh, trauma, as you said. So what's something, Liz, that you failed at? A lot. <laughs> I failed a lot of things. Um, and I forget most of the things I failed at because I don't let them keep me down too much. But, um, you know, I, you, on a small scale, I used to fail math classes all the time. And I was horrible at math. And I had guidance counselors that didn't understand what the heck was wrong, that I wasn't able to grasp the concepts of it. Um, and I've done just fine without understanding. That. <laughs> <laughs> so all you high school math teachers, just be nice to your students, please. <laughs> That's my, um, my, if I ever got like an award, you know, when you're like, and this is no thanks to this person. It's my math teachers. <laughs> Oh my goodness, that is so funny. But I, okay, what's oh, sorry? A, an adult thing that I failed at though is I um, am like a serial entrepreneur, and so I've started like little businesses that don't take off. Nobody ever knows they exist, <laughs> and I learn from them and I I move on. I've had relationships that have quote unquote failed. Um, I tried to retile my bathroom floor and I failed at it, but I don't really look at many things as failures because I feel like it's kind of the only way you learn. Even failing math for me, I learned how to get around that really well. Um, and I think that I, I got skills that then helped me in my real life and failing to put in a tile floor. I like know how to put them in now failing a business idea, I made an even more successful business idea. And so I know that wasn't exactly your question, but for me, I don't really think of things as failures. I think of them as learning opportunities. You're going to laugh. So pretty much everyone who I've interviewed has said the same thing. I actually love this question because as you said, just like setting up a date reveals so much about a person this question in itself 
I think reveals so much about who I'm interviewing. Yeah. And the word failure itself, and I didn't, I don't do it to trip people out. Like, you know, whatever. If you consider something a failure, awesome. Let's roll with it. But it's interesting what people have made this question into in responding. Because most of the time, they don't consider a failure a failure. Like you said, it's like, I, I love this quote that I, I heard recently. You're either winning or you're learning. Mm, I love it. There's that's it. winning or you're failing. You're learning. Exactly. You're either winning or you're learning. And it that's that's how I view failure too. So I love actually having this exact phrase and word in there because I love hearing what people's interpretation of the word failure in itself even means. So thank you. So Liz, what is a personal hurdle that you have faced and how did you overcome it? A huge personal hurdle I have faced, um, honestly, was becoming a mom. I think that's the biggest hurdle I've ever faced in my life. And there are other things that if people know me, they would probably say that, like, there's been bigger hurdles than that. But adjusting my relationship, adjusting my career, adjusting my sleep schedule um, to take care of this little human being was really, really challenging for me. And um, I think that a lot of what I assumed I would be like as a mom or what I assumed motherhood looked like immediately within the first 48 hours, it was nothing like that. Um, and, and that was really challenging. It was challenging to find ways to have compassion for myself. It was challenging to, to grieve the losses that I faced in that transition you know, of myself and certain things about my relationship and my freedom and all of that. Um, And I also, though, think that that challenge has made me expand in ways that I never knew I could. Um, And so it was it was difficult, but it has really pushed me to grow. And it's definitely been one of my best experiences and my worst experiences all at the same time. Oh, for sure. I feel like there's so many people that can resonate with what you're saying right now, going back to like the balance and also, you know, when something new comes in your life, inevitably you're going to have to get rid of, or at least, you know, change a lot that is in your life right now. So how were you able to even overcome that? Like, how were you able to get through the transition successfully? A couple things. Number one, luckily I'm a therapist. So I recognized when I was having unhealthy thinking (laughs) patterns and Mm -hmm. I immediately went and saw a therapist probably within the first two weeks um, because I just knew that I was so overwhelmed that I couldn't do it alone. Um, The other thing was that I made sure to be very open with the fact that I was struggling with people who I could trust. So obviously not everybody, but I let other people know and I let other people help me as much as I could. And so that opened the door to support that I think a lot of times when we're going through a challenge, we sometimes stay very quiet about it to open up to to trustworthy people because that's where we can get some new insight and support. And then Mm -hmm. The other thing I did was find ways to reclaim the things that I had assumed I would never be able to do again. And so I, I made space and time for that, which again meant that I had to rework what I thought it meant to be a mom. 
So I had. To I love it. As soon as you were saying this, I was like, burn that mother template. Mm-hmm. Just burn that thing. Yes, exactly. I burned my motherhood template and I had to create another one. And I mean, it took a long time to slowly figure out what that looks like. And it's been over two years now that I think I finally figured out this is who I am as a mom and this is how my life can work as a mom and it feels much better um but but I I had to see a therapist I had to let other people know and accept help and then I had to get honest with myself that a lot of the things that were making me miserable were a little bit self-imposed because of that that template I can feel for you, not that I have experienced motherhood yet, but just certain big life changes that happen, having to reposition and just adapt, like just the resiliency in that. I do like, I feel like what you just described, you know, your own limiting beliefs, your own mindset, your own stories that you're telling yourself definitely are going to have to be changed. And then also that community factor. I think the community is key because you are who you surround yourself with. And in those relationships, it doesn't just mean your intimate, you know, partner, but the other really close relationships to you, you all need to be able to support one another through these various transitions in life. So that makes complete sense. And I love you sharing that. So Liz, what would you say you could offer people in terms of like, when we're just talking about relationships in general, um, what support or resources are available and what would your personal recommendations be? Obviously you can mention yours, but if there are some outside of what, what you're currently doing, cause I know your stuff's amazing. Um, like what would be some places that people can find help? So, um, obviously reading books is really helpful. And so some books that I recommend are, the book Attached by Amira Levine, um, the book The Power of Attachment by Diane Poole Heller, um, reading about love languages is always such a winner by Gary Chapman. Um, love it. And um, then also reading any of Gottman's work, John Gottman, G-O-T-T-M-A-N. It's the most researched form of relationship science. And so reading that is going to help you know um, about the actual tools that you can utilize. And then of course, anything by Brene Brown. <laughs> yes. That's about the individual, but it absolutely applies to how you relate to others. Um, if you're looking for relationship tips on Instagram, I think Sylvie Caucasian is amazing. I don't know if you saw her. She's amazing. Yes. She's a phenom. She's amazing. Um, Nicola Para, the holistic psychologist, amazing, mindful MFT. Those are all other relationship focused accounts um, that talk a lot about boundary setting or um, being vulnerable or assertiveness or like healing yourself so that you can be a better partner. And so utilizing social media to get that information is such like a free wealth of support and You can even look in the comments to kind of feel like you're a part of a community. Um, Esther Perel is amazing and she's on Instagram. And so I definitely recommend looking at that resource. Um, And yeah, just kind of taking that all in. In terms of like podcasts, I, I think that there are so many podcasts out there that can be really helpful and Sylvie actually has one. I forget what it's called, um, but you could definitely just look her up and 
again, she's amazing. Everyone you just mentioned, just like I, I'm familiar with the, all the Instagram uh, people that you mentioned, the, um, in the relationship realm, including yourself as well. I, I want to say that you need to be included in that yes, pool. Yes, follow of, me. I'm <laughs> and listens. And that's how we connected. So I'm so grateful that this is like full circle. We can give back. And like it, it really is that beautiful uh, cycle of finding you and discovering you and appreciating what you're creating in the world and then being able to feature you on my podcast. I love this. Um, and obviously this is really important to me to hear this straight from you and please just share from the heart as you always do. But what does a successful relationship look like to you? A successful relationship is a relationship that is able to constantly move between the reality that people are going to have periods of harmony and disharmony and they are able to have those moments of disharmony repair and learn and grow from those moments of disharmony instead of having moments of disharmony and um, kind of having the relationship fall apart because they become mean to each other, disconnected to each other. So it's, it's being able to accept the reality that you will not always agree that you won't always be the same, but to be, loving and supportive of each other through that and because of that you both have the ability to grow individually and also as a relationship Mm, what a beautiful way to say it and I think that's something that a lot of people struggle with is how do how do we grow together because I'm a firm believer couples either grow together or they grow apart and that's this is only from personal experience too I will say from my past relationships it's like you really feel that and it it is really a matter of supporting one another day to day it's literally in those day to day actions and interactions with one another in uplifting and supporting one another and also just yeah the honesty of knowing that you're not always going to get along it's life you're two different people trying to merge and that things are not always going to be, you know, unicorns and fairies and butterflies and, and magic, but it is when you get through and grow through those times together. I think that's when the real magic can happen. Absolutely. And when you're able to do that in a way that um, is respectful and kind and loving and not critical, defensive and distancing. <laughs> oh man, I could go into a whole other topic conversation with you on that. <laughs> but we won't. Okay, if you had to recommend one book that could positively change someone's life, aside from you know your writings and your work, what would it be? Um, Daring Greatly by Brene Brown. And why? Because I think that there are so many parts of us that are held back by not knowing how to be vulnerable and to be brave in that vulnerability. And that when you are, you can connect with not only other people better, but you can connect with yourself in a way that allows you to go towards the things that matter. Amazing. What quote do you live by and why that one? Change your sails, not the wind. It's actually tattooed on me. What is it? Change, oh, it's change your sails, not the wind. Mm-hmm. So you can't. Okay, so what's the story? You, I just, I heard it one day and I love it because it's kind of my mantra. I can't change everybody or the world. I can't change situations in my life all of the time. 
but I can change my own sales. Like I get to decide how I react to something, how I maneuver around something, um, regardless of, you know, the wind. Uh, I love that. I love that so much. Oh, wow. That was a great one. On a scale of one to 10, how weird are you? 10. <laughs> like full blowing weirdo oh, unicorn so status. I'm so weird. <laughs> I love it. And what would you say you're most grateful for in your life right now? My family. Beautiful. If you could have lunch with one person alive or dead, who would it be? Mm, that is so good. I think I would go for Brene Brown again. I just love that lady. Oh, man. Yeah, she is awesome. I totally feel you. Do you have any guilty pleasures, Liz? Oh, no, because I don't feel guilty about any pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> wow, woman. You, Yeah, you definitely are someone that is a teacher for others on how to really indulge in so many ways in life. I love that answer. Like, love it. Okay, if you could only eat one food for the rest of your life, what would it be? Spaghetti. <laughs> Spaghetti. Oh my goodness, that's amazing. What are you most excited about that's coming up? I'm really excited about my course that's launching in um, the, the next um, group of the course that's launching December 1st. I'm so excited for it because I've made some shifts and it's just going to be even more amazing than it was. I'm super excited to attend the art and science of um, love training in December with the Gottmans. That's going to be so fun. Um, and I'm also working on a book and I'm really excited about that as well. So I have so many fun things coming up. Oh, what a, what a number of blessings to just be so grateful for as well. And just so people are aware though, this course that you're relaunching that you've basically upgraded now, what is the main uh, theme or topic of focus? So people really get a good nutshell of what it's all about. So the course is going to be a membership and each month there is going to be a new topic about that impacts relationships. And so December's topic is going to be boundaries and we're going to have um, special guests on, like Sylvie's actually coming on to do a workshop about boundaries. I'm going to provide you scripts for pretty much everywhere in your life where you can kind of use them to start practicing setting boundaries. You get weekly calls with me um, where I answer your questions. We have like a little book club. And so each month, we're just going to really dig into a topic that people struggle with in relationships talk about the science behind it, why it's important, but also I'm going to give you really easy to apply tools so that you can begin to have that change in your own life. Mm, that sounds like an amazing course. And I love all the different um, resources that you're going to have within it too, because I think that's really important to not not just have one type so that people, like you said, only are getting the info and then they don't know how to apply it. Or for some people, you know, having the interviews and visuals are, are better. And for other people, it's reading. So that sounds like a, just an incredible course. I have no doubt that you'll be successful with that one. And Liz, I'm really curious to know, what does paradise mean to you? Obviously, this is Pave Your Paradise podcast, and I'm really curious as to how you would personally define paradise in your world. I think paradise is the ability to 
be wherever you are and to whether it's like in a really good space or it's a really challenging space to know that you, you can manage that. And I found that in my own life, the more that I recognize that anywhere I am in the world, anywhere I am internally, believing that I'm able to like manage what's happening um, emotionally or outside of myself has made it so that like most places that I go to feel pretty darn good for me. Um, And so most of my life kind of gets to be paradise because of that. Mm, Beautiful. And is there anything you wished we had or wish that we had talked about today? Anything else? No, I, I loved our conversation. I think that it went wherever it needed to go. <laughs> Aww, me too. I love the flow of us uh, interacting. I love it. And how can I, because you're such a beautiful server in this world, how can I and the audience of listeners serve you? How can we help you in the highest way? Oh, that's so sweet. I would love if you followed me on Instagram at Liz Listens and you just became a part of the community. I love when people comment or send me messages. Um, I read everyone's comments and it's a really, it's really important to me that I'm there and that I'm connecting with people. So by you being there, you're helping me to continue to spread my message of, you know, different ways that you can love yourself and love other people a little bit better. Amazing. And where is the best place to find you to learn more about you and what you do? So again, you can find me on Instagram at Liz Listens and all of my links are through the link in the bio. But if you don't have an Instagram, I'm on Facebook um, at Elizabeth Earnshaw LMFT. And I think the the actual at symbol is also at Liz Listens. Um, I'm on Twitter at Liz.Listens. Or you can go to my website at www.abetterlifetherapy.com. And you can find me there alongside all of the wonderful therapists that also work with me. Uh, Elizabeth, you have been such a treat to talk to today. What a beautiful way for us to both start one another's day together. And I'm so grateful to have had you now on Pave Your Paradise podcast. So thank you for your time, your energy, your beautiful bright light, and for just sharing, sharing your personal story. Thank you for having me. It was a great way to spend this morning into the afternoon. Beautiful. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining me. If there's anyone you know who you think could benefit from hearing today's episode, it would mean the world if you'd share it with them. Love what you heard? Then please subscribe. If you really love what you heard, then please leave a review with your honest and loving thoughts. This podcast wouldn't be possible without your support. If you feel called to, please make contributions to my podcast fund that helps me to keep it going strong, bringing on amazing guests for you, and to continue the ripple effect of spreading goodness in the world. I appreciate you, your time, and your energy, and I love hearing from you, so drop me a line on social media. As always, I'm wishing you a positive day and your own piece of paradise. Until next time, sending you love and light and keep shining.